mean? Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. (laughs) Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. Then he added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and angels of God descending and descending on the Son of Man. Church, let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we pray that you might illumine these scriptures for us this morning and bring them to light for us. Father, we pray that you might help us to see something new, something afresh. We pray that you might help us to allow ourselves to be challenged. Father, we pray that my words might be your words. We pray that I might decrease and you increase in all that is said and in all that is heard. And all the people said, what I want you to see here firstly with this little encounter between Jesus and these disciples is that it's Jesus who takes the initiative. It's Jesus who makes the first move. It is Jesus who approaches Philip with his his call to to simply to, to follow Now, it's important, I think, because this really challenges some of our modern mindsets about how I'm in charge of my own destiny. We live in a very sort of self-absorbed culture, very conceited sort of a culture, where we think, I'm the boss of me, I I decide where I'm going, I'm in control, I am responsible for for my life and for the direction in where it's heading, and and, and I take credit for, for those times when I get it right. It's really quite an an arrogant and and foolish way of thinking about life. This passage shows that it is Jesus who takes the first first step. Jesus takes the initiative. We call this concept in the Christian Christian world, in the Christian sphere, in Christian theology, we we call it predestination. You might sometimes hear this word mentioned, uh, predestination. It's a big, fancy, theological-sounding word, but really all it means is that it is God who takes the initiative with you. God himself takes the first step. It is God himself who lays the foundation, who prepares the way that allows you to then respond to his call. There's two big schools of thought. If you get a bunch of theologians around a table, they're often divided into things, uh, two big schools of thought. You might know Calvinism and... and, and, uh, and Arminianism, Calvinism very much emphasizes this predestination, that, that God has predestined you. He knows who will respond to his call. It's based very strongly on Romans chapter 8. Uh, Romans chapter 8 says uh, very clearly, it talks about how God foreknew, he foreknew you before you were stitched together in your mother's womb. He, he knew you. Our God is beyond our very puny concept of time. He's beyond all of that. He sees ahead into what we think of 
as the future, that God foreknew that he predestined those of us who would be conformed to the image of his son. Romans 8 verse 30 says, those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So it is God who takes the initiative in saving us from ourselves, in saving us from sin and death. Uh, here in the Uniting Church, in our particular tradition, we have that coming down to us throughout the Presbyterian heritage, that strongly there's what we call the Calvinist line of thought that really emphasizes what we call predestination. And also coming down to us uh, in our tradition from the Methodist line of things is what we might call Arminianism, which very much emphasizes our own free will and our own desire to respond and, and to say yes to Jesus, to choose Jesus. You'll quite often find these two groups going at it online, mostly all in good nature, not always, I must say. You can search the YouTubes to explore uh, these two different schools of thought. If you want to know what I think, I'd love to chat to you later on, but I've always thought that these are two, this is a false dichotomy, that I've never seen these two concepts as being in conflict, that, that yes, we have free will, God has given us free will, and yes, he, he, he already predestined us, and yes, he knows what we're going to choose. I'd love to chat to you further about it, but it is important for us to realize that it is God who prepares the way. It is God who, who takes the first step. This is important, follower of Jesus, because it means there is no room for arrogance. There is no room for looking down on anyone else and thinking, well, I've made the right decision. I'm in Christ, and everyone else just needs to, to, to get with the program and become as enlightened as me. There is no room for arrogance or smugness in the Christian faith. We need to remember that there but by the grace of God go I. It is all the work of God. It's the grace of God working in our lives that enables us to be regenerated, made new, become a new creation in Christ. Jesus takes the first step. So that's the first little takeaway, first little lesson from us for this, this morning. I also want you to notice those two simple little words, follow me. There's no pyrotechnics. There's no soft, gentle music. There's no smoke machine. There's no sort of, there's no manipulation, there's no sort of emotionalism in it. There's no sense of sort of being subtly emotionally manipulated. It's just a simple invitation with Jesus. It's always an invitation. There's never any arm twisting. It's a simple invitation. Follow me. I love the simplicity of Jesus' invitation. It's simply a call to follow. However... It is a profound call. What you need to understand about the context is that in those days when a rabbi called a student to be his follower, it was a call to have your life upended. It was a call to literally, physically follow your rabbi as you walked the streets of Israel, the dusty streets. There was a saying back then, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. They would literally follow their teacher around and and be covered in, in the dust. It was a, an invitation to leave your lifestyle, to leave what you knew, to leave what was familiar, and to dedicate yourself to the teachings of this rabbi. It was a call to have your life upended. It was a call to, to really have all your other priorities bump down the pecking order. It was a call to make your rabbi primary in your life. It was a call to make your rabbi the, the, 
the center of gravity. It's a new term I picked up in researching this message. I love this concept of making Jesus our center of gravity around which everything else in our life orbits, around which everything else is measured off against and weighted and judged by. So make Jesus our plumb line, our center, against which everything else is judged, against which every other priority needs to fit in with and around. Jesus needs to be our number one. To be a follower of Jesus is not simply to come to church on Sunday morning and be an interested observer. He wants a disciple. It literally just means a student or a pupil, but is it, it is an all-of-life commitment. He wants to be the foundation of your life. He wants to be your groundedness, your centre of gravity. I came across a, uh, another interesting example of, of, that illustrates what I think Jesus is calling us to. Did you know that in, in zero gravity, uh, there's all manner of everyday things that become quite problematic? I've never been in zero gravity. I'm not an astronaut, but I'm reliably informed. But when you're uh, orbiting the Earth in zero gravity, ordinary everyday things become problematic. And in fact, they even become potentially dangerous. I read this week that one such simple thing that we take for granted with our two feet planted firmly on the ground is tightening a screw. When you're in orbit, when you're in zero gravity, when you're not based, you don't have a firm foundation, when you go to tighten a screw and you're simply floating in mid-air, the screw doesn't turn, you do. And for me it was a good metaphor of not being based, not being firmly grounded in Christ. If you are not in Christ, it is like you are morally floating in space. It is, it is like that you are sort of eternally, spiritually just floating without purpose, floating without any sort of security, without any sort of reference point in your life. You are spiritually and morally weightless. In space, there is no up or down, of course. Once we get away from the earth, when you're in space, there's no up or down. It's just rolling spheres in three dimensions. Without Jesus Christ, I think you are like that. Without God, there, when you think things through logically, there really is no up or down. There really is no up or right. God is where we get our determination of what is right and wrong, what is, what is up and down. Without him, we are like astronauts just floating, spiraling in space, out of control, without base, without any sort of foundation in our lives to make decisions by, to set our priorities by. There's plenty of people that I know, and I'm sure you do too, who live like this. These are the hedonists in our life. These are sometimes the, the cynics in our life. Quite often, very nice people. I know lots of them, friends, family members. Fun to be around for a little while, but in the long term, can I suggest living a life of randomness, weightlessness, Pointless, pointless lives, no direction, no meaning, and no purpose. I actually find these people actually kind of boring, I must say, because they're not living for anything. They're not on a grand adventure. They're simply living to please themselves day by day, moment by moment. Perfectly nice people, 
many of my friends, my own family members counted among them. But please don't let that be you. Make sure that you are grounded by saying yes to Jesus' invitation to follow. Another little example I heard this week was of a, of a fish being reeled in and flapping around on the ground. If any of you have ever been fishing, you know, you can sort of pull a fish in and it'll be flapping around and seemingly die out of its natural environment on dry land. If you throw it back in the water, quite often they will sort of revive themselves and, and flash away. I know Mark's experienced that. Because a fish is out of its natural environment, gasping for breath, doesn't know what to do. But when it's in its natural environment, it springs to life. The same is true with us and being a follower of Jesus, being grounded in Jesus Christ, having him as our centre of gravity, means that we are doing and being who we are created to be. It is where we find life, by making Jesus our top priority and saying yes to his simple invitation Follow me. Amen. I want to give you a bit of a word of warning, though, church. I think a lot of people, people in churches, they say yes to the invitation, but they kind of treat God like he's a butler. They come to God like he's a bit of a servant, like a, a cosmic vending machine. I've heard this analogy a few times before, and I've used it a few times before, but I want to update it. I want to make sure that we're not treating God like Siri. You know, people just say, hey, Siri. Anyone do that with their phone? Hey, Siri, help me out here, will you? Hey, Siri, what's the answer to this? I think that is how some people treat God. They treat God like they treat Siri, hoping to just solve a problem whenever they need. Fix this for me, will you, God? Do this for me, will you, God? It's an incredibly arrogant way to come to the creator of the universe. You can't treat God like you treat Siri or like you treat a butler. What you're actually doing when you do that is you're saying, you're coming to God and you're saying, well, I'll follow you if, what you're really saying is, Lord, my priorities are non-negotiable, but yours are, Lord. It's an incredibly foolish way to approach the God of the cosmos who breathed, who spoke stars and galaxies into existence. The proper relationship, the right relationship is one of obedience, one of humility, one of submission one of surrender, saying, here I am, Lord, have your way in, in my life. And it's going to take some, some discipline. Disciple and discipline both come from the same root word in Latin. It simply just means pupil. Right? Think of any field of endeavour in the world, not just in the church world. In the, think of the sporting world. Think of the world of music or the arts. No one ever achieved anything of greatness in this life without some level of discipline. Every great athlete, every great musician had to sit under the teaching, under the leadership, under the guidance, under the discipline of a teacher to learn and to grow. And then and only then could all the gifts that they've been given reach their fullest potential and bring abundant life to that person and to people around them. You are going to need a little bit of discipline. It will take some self-denial. It will say saying yes to Jesus, but saying no to some other things. You're not going to be able to fit everything else in your life. I was challenged a number of years back as a young dad when I became a father, and I realized that as a follower of Jesus and as a husband and, and, and as a father, there wasn't going to be a lot of room left in my life for other pursuits. I remember we were living 
down the south coast. And I remember some of my mates would spend the entire weekend deep sea fishing, bringing back these huge big tuners. Like, and, but it, I, I just couldn't do it. I just don't have time. I have other priorities. As a follower of Jesus, there are other things that I needed to be doing with my time. Nothing against deep sea fishing. Go for it. But it, as a follower of Jesus... He needs to be your centre of gravity and everything else will need to fit in around it. And there's not always going to be a lot of time left over for your other uh, pursuits. So, Philip responds. Philip responds. He says yes to Jesus. Uh, I want you to note that there's no ifs, no buts. There's no, uh, there's not, there's no not yet. There's no sort of, uh, sort of negotiations here. Uh, there's no procrastination. There's no excuses. Uh, he, he simply submits to Jesus. Jesus at this point becomes the lens through which he sees life. Jesus at this point becomes the filter through which he makes his other commitments and decisions in life. So he comes to abundant life in Christ. He says yes to Jesus. But the story doesn't end there, does it? Philip is, is obviously so, uh, so joyous. Philip can't keep this Jesus to himself. He can't keep the good news to himself. He goes out and shares it. Is that you? Uh, do you have such a joy in Jesus? Shut up in your bones. You can't help but tell people around you. I hope so. I hope that's us as a church because we have lots of work to do, church, in the marketplace. Our, our city has many, many people who need desperately to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. So Philip goes out and he finds Nathaniel. Now, Nathaniel. We don't know a lot about Nathaniel. Uh, Nathaniel is only spoken of by John. He's not mentioned in any of the other Gospels. We're not even really sure that Nathaniel is one of the twelve. Did you know that? I didn't realise that. Nathaniel may not even be one of the twelve. He may be what the other Gospel writers uh, name as Bartholomew. So Nathaniel may be Bartholomew, given that Jesus had this tendency to, to rename people when they came to him in order to signify the new creation that they become. Uh, that is an entirely plausible explanation. We're not really sure. What we are fairly certain of about this fellow Nathaniel is that he's quite a learned fellow, he's an educated fellow. Remember, this is a time when most people were more or less illiterate. But we know that Nathaniel was a student. We know that he, was, he could read. We know this because uh, Philip makes his appeal on the basis of Scripture. He makes his appeal on the basis of, 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 of the Moses and the law and the prophets. And we also know this because Jesus mentions that he saw him sitting under the fig tree. Now, this is a metaphor. Sitting under the fig tree meant to be studying the scriptures. If you were studying the scriptures, if you were opening up what we call the Old Testament, if you open up the Hebrew scriptures, they were said to be sitting under the fig tree. So we know that, that Nathaniel was probably a, a learned man, an educated man. Uh, so it is significant that, that, that a learned, educated man was one of the first disciples to be called alongside these rough and ready fishermen. It's a, it's a significant development here. We quite often hear, don't we, that the church or, or faith in Jesus is a crutch for weak-minded people. It's for fools. Well, here we have the first instances of, a, of an educated man, someone who knew the scriptures, 
coming to faith in Christ. But he knew that simply mere head knowledge wasn't enough. Uh, he hears uh, Jesus. Uh, well, in fact, he doesn't hear straight away. What happens first? He actually shows a little bit of resistance, doesn't he? Philip comes to him and says, we've found the one that Moses and the Lord spoke of, the Jesus of Nazareth. And we all know, uh, we're familiar with, Na- with uh, Nathaniel's sort of cynical response. Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Last week, I joked it was sort of a little bit like Bronte, right? But they said, ill repute, can anything good come out of there? I won't pick on them again. Let's say, could you? Insert your own suburb in there, right? A place that no one really thought much about at all. So I want you to note that Nathaniel's initial reluctance is understandable. Because he's a learned man, he would have known that the Messiah was supposed to come from Bethlehem. So his question is plausible. His question is a legitimate... This is a legitimate question. Another little learning point at this point, I think, for us. Welcome these questions. Welcome questions. Philip doesn't allow his friend's initial rebuff to put him off. He welcomes the question. We should always welcome people's questions. When you're in sales, you should always welcome questions. I was taught when I was a salesperson... If someone is asking questions, it's a good sign that you've got them because they're interested. People only ever ask questions if they want to know more. When people stop asking questions, you know that you've lost them. Welcome questions. Notice that Philip's response isn't, how dare you question the Messiah? His response is that don't don't question, just believe. Philip is non-confrontational. He's not at all offended. And he responds with this wonderful response. This wonderful response that I think we should all be saying more. Come and see. Come and see. Mate, come and check it out for yourself. Come and experience Jesus for yourself. I'm sure we've all had the experience of trying to relay to a friend a wonderful experience you had, and you can tell they're just not getting it. You've had this wonderful experience, but you just can't communicate it with words. In the end, you just have to respond with, well, I guess it just had to be there. The same is true with Jesus. You just had to be there. Philip is saying to Nathaniel, you've just got to be there. You've got to come and experience it for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Come and experience Jesus for yourself. Don't rely on secondhand faith. Come and experience Jesus for yourself. I love this response because it's not go and see. He says, come and see. I'll go with you. This is an invitation to journey together. Come with me and we will explore Jesus together. Come with me and we will work it out together. We'll ask our questions together. This is so important to be part of of a church. This is why church is important because we can journey together and ask questions of one another, of people we love and, and, and trust and who love us and hopefully have our best interests in heart and aren't going to be offended when we ask some, some hard questions. This is, I actually came across a church this week that said, unless you're part of a small group, you're not really part of the church. This is why small groups are so important because they're opportunities, places, safe places with people who you know and who know you, you can journey with together and, and, and share in their, in their joys and their struggles. You can, you can help one another in that interactive sort of environment in a way that we can't do with a larger gathering 
here, here, on, here on a Sunday. So Nathaniel, initially a little bit dubious. Philip doesn't allow his mate sort of rebuff, put him off. He presses on. So too we should be willing to do the same. The initial scepticism today will be different these days. People will know who Jesus is, but their scepticism will be different, won't it? But it will certainly be there. Oh, fable. Oh, a crutch for the, <clears throat> for the weak-minded. Oh, just a bunch of old fairy tales. You're going to need to be able to, to deal with those questions. You're going to need to be able to say, well, this is why it's not a bunch of fairy tales. And we need to be able to tell them, these men died rather than reject Jesus. These men went to their death. No one dies for a lie. No one dies for a myth or for a fable. These men went to their death rather than renounce Jesus Christ. This is, this is just historical fact. These accounts are reliable. These accounts are without peer in the ancient world. These are accounts written by eyewitnesses. John is a disciple. John is one of the twelve. He's writing this down so that we might believe. So we've got to be prepared to overcome people's questions. Not be offended by them. Uh, roll with them. Overcome prejudices. Welcome, welcome the questions. Uh, come and Come and see for yourself. Come and journey together. This is an, it's an invitation to adventure. This is saying, well, I don't know, but let's go and find it. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't need to know everything. You do need to be willing to journey with a person. You do need to be willing here to be able to say, well, I, I'm not sure, but why don't we go and find out together? Let's be that church. Let's be those people that say, well, I don't have all the answers. But you know what? I'm willing to journey with you for a period. I'm willing to, to come together and to ask and to struggle and to wrestle together. Challenge the stereotypes. Verse 47 is, is significant because it shows us that Jesus knew Nathaniel. He says, I saw you sitting under the fig tree. Jesus knows you. He knows all of your faults. He knows where you've been and he calls you anyway. Isn't that good news? Despite it all, he still calls you. He wants you to be journeying with him. He wants you with him for all of eternity. And verse 51, Jesus making a wonderful promise to Nathaniel. says, You'll, you've been reading the scriptures sitting under the fig tree. You've been reading these scriptures. And like Jacob's famous ladder, his famous stairway to heaven with angels ascending into heaven, you're going to see that and more. He says, I am that link. I am that stairway. I am that ladder. I am... I link heaven and earth. You're going to see heaven break open upon here on earth through me and, and through yourself, Nathaniel. Come. Come and follow me and, 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 and live. Truly live. I want to close with another little metaphor, an everyday metaphor, everyday little simple thing that I think speaks to this need to come and see and make Jesus number one. When you button up your shirt at the start of the morning, we've all had the experience of getting the buttons misaligned, right? You sort of think you got it right, but when you get down to the bottom, you realise you're all out of kilter, you're all out of whack. The same is true with making Jesus our priority. We need to get the first things 
in their rightful place first. Because if not, everything else is going to be off kilter. Everything is going to be out of whack. If we get it right at the start, then everything else will follow. This is a call to make Jesus number one and to set our priorities around our centre of gravity, Jesus himself, and let everything else flow. This Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, God in skin, God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us. Can I encourage you this week, church? Can I encourage you this year? As you're setting down your calendar, setting out your calendar, that's what I've, I'm sure you've been like me these last couple of weeks, 2024, a new year, another year. What do I need to lock into place? What are the unmovable commitments that I've got in my calendar for 2024? I always have to look up every year, well, when's Easter falling this year? I need to block it out. March this year, by the way, early Easter this year, before, a couple of weeks before the school term even ends, so look out for that one. It's coming. Easter. Other commitments, uh, church camp, it's a commitment. It's not going to break it. There's nothing else going to lob in on top of it. Some other conferences that I, that I need to get to, things that I need to be at, I need to prioritise my calendar. Can I encourage you to do the same, making Jesus your centre of gravity. Come and see Jesus for who he is. Saviour, Lord, life giver bringer of abundant, eternal resurrection life in this life and the next. Come and see. Set your priorities accordingly and live. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we ask for your help. We need your help. We need your help in setting calendars, making decisions, setting relationships in place, Organising our career, organising our finances, everything in our life this year, Father, we surrender to you. We say yes to Jesus. We make him our ground, our centre ground, our centredness, our centre of gravity, around which everything else is measured, against which everything else is deemed to be right or wrong achievable or not, a high priority or perhaps not. Father, give us wisdom in knowing how best to adjust our lives, making you, making your son Jesus Christ our Lord and our Saviour. Help us to live with a heavenly perspective. Help us to live following Jesus this year and beyond. In his name we pray. All the people said...